friends, enemies, enemies, enemies. Welcome to this Fuds on Film podcast. I am Scott Morris and today I'm joined by Drew Tavendale. Hello. Uh, no Craig Eastman, he is on a time out from the internet as he's currently moving house, but hopefully he'll be. I've rejoined the broadband world by our next podcast, so you are stuck with us today and we are going to be talking about Truman Capote and in particular a pair of near contemporaneous films that chose to focus on Truman Capote around about the period where he writes what becomes his most celebrated novel In Cold Blood. Those of course being Capote and Infamous. So both films of course cover essentially the same time frame and have essentially the same events, although something of a different skew on the two of them. So I'll give you a bit of a recap that will serve to cover the narrative, I suppose, for the most part of both of them. Truman Capote, if you don't know, was already famed as a New York-based writer, socialite, wit and raconteur, and he becomes intrigued with the news of a grisly quadruple murder in a small town in Kansas called Holcomb. He's particularly interested in how a community is affected by such a wound where, to an approximation, everybody knows each other, the population of Holcomb at this time being probably 250 people. He thinks there's an article in there somewhere, or as it turns out, a whole book, and he leaves his partner and his gossip-mongering friends and heads out to Holcomb with his friend from childhood and fellow author Arthur Lee. While initially the small town's close-knit community doesn't warm to Capote, he persists until his charm and shameless name-dropping wins their confidence, allowing them to take copious notes for his project about the victims and the community. Just as he's about to pack up and leave, he gets news that the killers have been caught. Harper leaves to continue writing her book, an obscure number called To Kill a Mockingbird, while Truman sets about getting access to interview the killers. Richard Dick Hickok is initially more open about discussing how and why they committed this crime, a robbery gone wrong based on some duff information about an unlikely safe filled with thousands of dollars in the Clutter farmstead. Capote, however, is far more interested in Perry Edward Smith, who, in these portrayals at least, is the more unpredictable, with dangerous bouts of rage and violence punctuating what seems to be a more thoughtful, sensitive predisposition, who aspires to artistry rather than criminality. Smith initially has no interest in being included in Truman's work, and it takes a revelation about shared childhood traumas to get Smith to start opening up. From this point, they become close to the point of one of the films we'll talk about, suggesting the relationship become rather more intimate, although perhaps fittingly given the criticisms of the strict veracity of Truman's eventual output in Cold Blood, this point on the relationship is very much unsubstantiated. Found guilty, Hickok and Smith are sentenced to death for their crimes, and Appeals exhausted, they hang on April 14th, 1965, with Truman present at their final chapter. The book, hailed as the first non-fiction novel, is released in 1966 and is a massive success, although the emotional ringer that Capote's been put through has taken its toll on his mental health, and although it's not the focus of either film, it does rather seem to precipitate his slide into alcoholism and other stronger substance abuses that kill him, albeit sometime later in 1984 at the age of 59. Far too young an age for someone this talented. So we have a choice of two films uh, released a year apart, the first being Capote, starring Philip Steemore Hoffman in the lead role, which was 2005, and 2006 saw the release of Infamous with Toby Jones playing Capote. So I suppose as we run through this we'll necessarily have a lot of crossover between the two. They are, of course, talking about the same events. And guess I'll, I'll leave up to yourself, Drew. What would you like to start with and talk about one of these films? Let's begin with Infamous, just to 
go for the later one and be contrary. Yeah. <laughs> no other reason than that, really. And I think the real difference in these two films, I mean, yes, they have slightly different approaches, but you could possibly boil it down to it being two almost completely different takes on Truman Capote, it seems, at times. Yeah, it does manage to take very different tones, both through yes. the character and the relationship <laughs> relating the events. Yes, exactly. Whether that's intentional or it's in part to do with the the source material I'm not sure the Philip Seymour Hoffman film Capote is based on a autobiography of Capote I believe whereas Infamous is based on George Plimpton's oral history and mm. largely anecdotes which may well be why the film has for a great part of the tone it does and also perhaps some of its downsides, but I'm oh. getting ahead of myself a little. So in the infamous Capote is played, perhaps inhabited is a better term because it's <laughs> it's such a good performance by the British actor Toby Jones. Jones is deeply entertaining as Capote. He's a social butterfly flitting from party to party, semi-famous friend to semi-famous friend, bearer and collector of gossip and scandal. And that really stands in such stark contrast to Philip Seymour Hoffman's excellent, yeah. affected, but curiously dour interpretation of the man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jonesy's flamboyance and ebullience certainly makes Capote's role as an integral member of fashionable 1960s Manhattan society far more believable. Mm. When you compare the two films, one of the most noticeable things is that for the most part, Capote, the 2005 film, is deadly, deadly serious. Yeah. Whereas Infamous, certainly in the first third, maybe first half, really funny. Uh, there's a lot of humour in there and there's a, yeah. some much, much lighter tone to begin with, which necessarily changes later when Capote begins to get obsessed with Perry Smith. And you see, you see his descent into the obsession with the murderers, the murder mm. and the work that he wants to do. But it's, it begins in such a different way and it makes the character, I think, more immediately engaging because you can understand why he's the life of the party. Yeah. And maybe I'm reading something into it that's not necessarily there, but you can believe also too that there is a, I don't know, that he's putting on an act. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm saying. Um, so like, oh, back to the film, maybe I work my way around to the point I'm trying to make. Uh, <laughs> entertaining as infamous can be in moments, it does rather suffer from feeling a collection of anecdotes. And as I said, that's largely what it's based on, the George Plimpton oral history. So it feels more like a collection of anecdotes rather than a cohesive narrative or character portrait, a feeling definitely made worse by the use of talking head interview segments, yeah. which really never sit well with the rest of the film at all. Yeah. Now, um, we'll come back around to talk about this a bit more later, I think, but just briefly just now, I think Capote is probably the better film. It's in-depth study of the writer's character, his obsessions and his narcissism and his absorption by and descent into the horrific crime that gave rise to In Cold Blood is more compelling. Yeah. And certainly in that film is a bit darker. But I actually think Toby Jones is the better Capote. Now, part of that may simply be physicality. Hoffman was a big man trying to act small (laughs) and Jones is a small man. But for me, it's more than that. There's a lightness to Jonesy's portrayal, a gleeful sense of humour, and crucially, I think I finally realised what I was trying to say earlier, an, an emotional fragility and vulnerability. And the need, the hunger, the the fascination 
in Capote's relationship with Perry Smith in Infamous is more, more? It's more and more. Uh, (laughs) Much of that, I would say, is actually due to Daniel Craig. Yeah. In a role just before he really hit the big time with Casino Royale. Yes. Who gives a remarkably nuanced portrayal of Smith, the tortured would-be artist, the poetic soul trapped in the hulking body of a mass murderer. And there's always this incredible sense of danger with him, not just in the scene imagined as it may well be, um, where he threatens more or less to rape Capote, but there's this a feeling of Daniel Craig in this film of like a coiled spring. Yeah. And it's actually one of the best performances I've seen from Daniel Craig, because I remember before Casino Royale never having rated him much. And then I didn't see Infamous for the first time until preparing for this podcast. I somehow yeah. managed to never actually get around to watching it. I'd watched Capote a couple of times. And he's fantastic in this. And the scenes with him and Toby Jones together are powerful. Yeah. As for the rest of this film, Jeff Daniels is okay, I think, is the sheriff. I think I do prefer Chris Cooper in the other film. Yeah. But yeah, the supporting cast is, is largely okay. The only dull note is Sandra Bullock, whose weary Harper Lee is curiously hollow and just can't live with Jonesy Scapote. And for me, that's a bit of a shame because she's on screen a lot. And I weirdly have seen so many people think that she's fantastic in this. And now watching Sandra Bullock and I thinking, really? She looks half asleep most of the time. And, uh, I think I think it'd be a bit harsh. I wouldn't I would not describe her as excellent in it, but I think she's perfectly good in this role. I, I have no real complaints with character or to be honest any of the supporting cast and the one major difference for me between this and Capote is that this has a supporting cast where they decided to give that supporting cast something to do. <laughs> yes um, there is that um, <laughs> even if it's a bit odd like having lots of people at the beginning in yeah. the twist it's just very strange. Yeah but, um, and, and that is the, the only reason I can think for putting those talking heads segments in uh, particularly at the start is it, it just must be a way to try and get some more value out of a cast where <laughs> You've got the likes of, you know, Sandra Bullock, who was you know, mostly a very big star at the time. Daniel Craig's on the bubble and about to become huge. You've got Sigourney Weaver, Gwyneth Paltrow, Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. Uh, even before you get to Jeff Daniels, just as a as kind of a socialite friends, and it's such on paper uh, an incredible cast that I mean, really didn't need to be there for the vast bulk of this film, apart from adding the kind of anecdotal details. So I think clumsy as it may be, it does help to inform. Uh, Capote's character as you were saying about him being the life of the party you, you, that, that gets that across more certainly than uh, the Capote uh, 2006 does yeah because, sorry. Um, yeah, he was this is a social butterfly and he was involved in this high society and he was always dropping names which he then used to kind of ingratiate himself with the people in the town in Kansas mm-hmm. and it almost feels like by having famous people playing these people who were sort of semi-famous in Capote's time yeah. I was just to like reinforce that, but they they've otherwise wouldn't have had an awful lot to do without those talking head segments. I just they don't fit That's for right. me. Yeah, they, they stick out like a bit of a sore thumb. I can actually now we're thinking about it, see the purpose of it, but it's not particularly well integrated, and it, it feels like it's almost like it's breaking the fourth wall and becoming a, a bit of a documentary yeah. sort of talking head things, but just for a period of what twenty minutes to half an yeah, hour, it. and then it's then it it's drops so it completely. Yeah, uh, doesn't fit with, doesn't mesh with the rest of the film at all, which is, if that had, I don't think I would particularly have cared for it, but it would have been more successful if that had been the structure of the film throughout. Yeah. It was like they cut and paste parts of another film entirely into those bits. 
Yeah, like some the one point the script fell on the floor with it and got mixed up with pages from another thing altogether and just <laughs> put it all back together. And didn't realize that they had the wrong pages in the script. Yeah. So then that's first pass. If I don't have to do more on Infamous, Scott, then you need to speak a bit about Capote. Yeah, probably circle back to a few things. I mean, perhaps the the one thing I'd say about Infamous is it probably takes, from my mind, something of a broader and consequently shallower tone than Capote, uh, mm-hmm. which is yes, that's fair. It's not necessarily a disadvantage uh, in terms of broader accessibility, but it probably is. I mean, it's almost perverse to, to insist that Infamous <laughs> is giving much more of an overview of Truman Capote's life outside of the events of In Cold Blood. But if you're watching it back to back with 2005's Capote, it does kind of seem that way. Uh, Capote, as mentioned, gives you the excellent Philip Seymour Hoffman in a lead role. And while the cast does include the likes of Catherine Keener and Chris Cooper as Harper Lee and Alvin Dewey, it might as well not have. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, even more so than Infamous, the entirety of this film is Hoffman's Capote. Um, yeah, it's, it's the Philip Seymour Hoffman show, this film, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, even when he's interviewing Clifton Collins Jr.'s Perry Smith, the focus is pretty clearly Capote. <laughs> this is perhaps playing short shrift to Collins, but Hoffman is just mesmerising in this role. It's a very different tone that it takes from Infamous. Well, Infamous isn't exactly hygiographic. It does seem to skew into being more generally approachable and doesn't analyse Capote's actions in any great depth, whereas Capote's rather more willing to showcase the slightly sleazier side of Truman's business. Mm-hmm. You Because know, he's happy to you know, lie, cheat and bribe his way into various places to get a story and his character's not kind of painted in the sort of sweetness and light that to a degree Infamous tends towards... Infamous to me doesn't seem to want to properly critique the character of Truman Capote. It just wants to show you a, show you a good time, more or less. Uh, and Capote is the, the dark half of of the two. This is the, the film that is actually more likely to give you something of an edge. While he has, in some cases, identical dialogue, you can kind of feel a, a more of a steal with Hoffman's performance. There's more of a threat. There's more of a threat to stab you in the back while he's being, you know, making quips to your face. That's partly just due to the power of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. It is one of the best acting performances I've seen in film. And that's something I thought when I saw it back in 2005. And I've not actually revisited this until the other day there in preparing for this podcast. But um, yeah, it's still as memorable then as it is now. Um, even despite the fact that it is purely just his show and there's not really much going on around it. Is it's, it's got a perfectly talented cast, but it's really just Truman Capote you're focused on here. Directed by Bennett Miller, who's had quite the run of films, if you can call that sort of track record a run. It's more of a, a walk, given the spacing between a lot of it. But, but between this, Moneyball and uh, Foxcatcher, it's a powerful, if short, CV. And certainly uh, the one thing he's brought to this, along with his cinematographer, is there's more of an art to this film. This does have a lot of nicer scenes, lots of more artistically shot, better framed scenes going into this. It feels more like a work of art to, well, I actually enjoyed Infamous quite a lot. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It was only when I sort of watched it kind of back to back with Capote that it it came across as a lesser film. If I hadn't seen Capote, I would think it would be really quite positive about Infamous in almost all senses. But I think there's this film feels like more of a film to me, whereas the weird way that Infamous is structured, where it kind of feels half documentary and, and half character study and, uh, I don't know, a third something else, <laughs> makes it feel a little bit more scattered as opposed to the focus 
that Miller's brought to Capote and Seymour Hoffman. Bennett Miller and Philip Seymour Hoffman go way back. I believe they kind of came up together in acting uh, classes. So they've clearly got a great relationship and that's come through on the film, I believe. A tremendous performance, tremendous capture of Capote. I, I don't know how realistic, as you say, this is in terms of what Truman Capote was actually like. Mm-hmm. As you say, it would seem strange that someone this brooding would become the life and soul of the party. And the one or two scenes where it does have him kind of being part of this, uh, the social scene and, and laughing up a storm when he, after the success of his books or the initial readings of his books, doesn't seem quite right, that but that's the one bit that doesn't quite hang together. He doesn't seem like he would be holding court so well, given what you, you see in the rest of the film. And maybe that's just part of the, you know, the putting on a face for, for the, the crowds and the kind of more brooding sensibility, perhaps, that he would have while he's actually writing and trying to turn that into art. So, sorry, a bit of a ramble there. Capote is just a tremendous film purely for that performance. It's such a powerful, central performance that it makes it an incredibly powerful film to watch. And yes, I enjoyed it every bit as much now as I did. What's that? 12 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I honestly don't know which one I prefer. I think possibly that I think... I actually had to say this without just sounding like I'm trying to say, like, got some sort of cognitive dissonance going on or something. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance is superb. Yes, but it might not actually be Truman Capote. Yeah, that's how I think. It, yeah. That's I think Jones is a better Truman Capote. And it's like, yes, I yes. still watch, happily watch both. Yeah, as a film, Capote is better. Um, that focus helps. Although yeah. I mean, something is just, it's maybe too focused because there's nothing else going on in the film. There's yeah. just Truman Capote <laughs> and some shapes around them. <laughs> it's interesting because this is as much the performance as the writing, but when you mention about Philip Sumer Hoffman's Capote being someone that can stab you in the back, when I, mean, I mentioned like the vulnerability, etc., of Toby Jones and in Infamous, it's like yeah. the both that is one part that remains in both takes in the characters, the sort of betraying of friends to get favours or something like that, and to, like he's he's not as sincere as you would hope yeah. he would be, etc. But Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, so it's just my take on it, but in Infamous, Capote seems weak, whereas yeah. in Capote, Capote seems bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's quite a different way to approach a character, because that's say, somebody who can't help themselves as opposed to somebody who deliberately wants to yeah. treat people in that way. Yeah, I mean, particularly at the start, where it's like essentially harmless stuff about gossiping about relationships yeah um, it just seems like he's a bit of a gossip and infamous whereas he seems almost perversely pleased with with the gossip that he's spreading and uh, yeah there's a sense Capote, of malice in yes. Capote, isn't there and again i don't know enough about truman Capote to know which of those if either is accurate whether yeah. maybe the truth is somewhere in between as it often is but it's just quite interesting and for there to be two films about the same person at the same period in your life, at the same time, is incredibly <laughs> yes. weird. And for them still to both be so good is stranger yet. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, as I mentioned, I think, I think I mentioned, I hadn't seen Infamous at all until, well, this week, and I have missed watching a good film. Yes. Um, I actually, I don't remember this coming out at all. I mean, it must have passed me by, whether it got much of a cinematic release in the UK, I don't know, or maybe it was just busy for those couple of weeks, but I do feel like I've missed something uh, in watching this. Uh, yeah, I, and I bought it years ago. I thought maybe I saw it on sale at the same time as I just after I'd bought Capote and DVD, which I remember buying. And it just sat there on the shelf, unwatched for ages. Um, and yeah, I've, I've denied myself a good film too. I don't think it did get, it got a cinema release here, but I know it wasn't a big one. 
And I right. think that's just because basically Capote stole his thunder. Yeah. Especially yeah, because Hoffman yeah. got the Oscar for Best yeah. Actor. I mean, thoroughly well deserved. But so I think at that point, it's like the steam was out of its sails. And it was the steam? Steam <laughs> sails. Yeah. Maybe the wind is out of its sails because <laughs> I, I've got a very curious idea of how ships work. But yeah. um, yes, the wind was out of its sails a bit because it this other film about exactly the same thing had come first. Yeah. I can understand why a lot of people would say, well, is it just not the same film again? I can't be bothered with that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not really the same film again, or as much as they share. They are, do have their own distinct identities. Yes. Um, part of this whole kind of compare contrast series stemmed from a muted podcast episode we thought about doing for films where, you know, the, the same subject pops up and is covered by two films in 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 Congress, a small amount of time, you know, things like um, Armageddon and Deep Impact, that sort of thing. And this is perhaps one of the few cases I've seen where, you know, normally, not always, one of those sort of two dueling films is substantially better than the other. Mm-hmm. And one feels like a cheap, hurried knockoff. And that's very much not the case with this. These are two really great films that I hugely enjoyed. And yeah, I, I think like you say, I, I would be hard pushed to really pick a favourite out of these two. Capote has the better central performance, has a perhaps a more compelling take on a character loosely based on Truman Capote, but I don't know if it's actually a better or a more enjoyable, perhaps, film than Infamous. It's, Capote may well edge it in terms of just being a, a kind of more cohesive artistic ball, but Infamous is perhaps more entertaining. And, you know, that's, that's no mean feat, having two really good films that are both covering a very slender period uh, with the same characters, but have very different takes, and they're both almost as good as each other. That's quite rare and quite an achievement for both sets of cast and crew. Mm-hmm. It's also it's interesting too, because, yes, two films, the same events, the same time period, but two, for all that they share in terms of the large scope, large brush strokes of the events, two such different approaches to it too. And yes. yet both are still eminently watchable it's a rare thing i mean it's ever happened quite that way before but it certainly must be rare but the long and short of it is though if you want a recommendation on whether you should watch capote whether you should watch infamous yes (laughs) you should yes i I wholeheartedly agree to as i say somewhat not okay not wildly different but certainly very different uh, different toned films from the same events with brilliant casts uh, and, and very well performed throughout both films, highly worth your time, and I I heartily recommend them both. So just before we sign off, a couple of things from Twitter and various other services. Uh, at Blake Wrights on Twitter, a perpetual dumb machine from the very good I'm the Host podcast. I haven't seen either of these films in a long time, but I have seen Murder by Death, and woof, that is not aged well. Um, not seen that one, so I will. I, I can't comment, but I'll agree with you, because you normally seem to know what you're talking about, so... Other things I'd like to just give a, a, another quick shout out to the guys at the Magic Lantern podcast who again said some unwarranted nice things about us, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, blush, so they did. Yes, they certainly did. Uh, so right back at you, uh, in particular their latest episode on... The Enchanted Cottage. Yeah, that was the one, The Enchanted Cottage, which is a film that I've not seen, but I think it was incredibly well explained. Ah, I would like to thank them too, because... It's not the first time that the Magic Lantern have prompted me to actually watch a film I've had sitting on DVD or on my hard drive for a long time. So <laughs> in anticipation of listening to their podcast in the next couple of days, I hope I did finally watch The Enchanted Cottage a couple of nights ago. So thanks for that, guys. Yes, I'm sure they'll be happy with that. I'm sure that's what they want is to 
spread the word of good films. So, yes, we again heartily recommend Magic Lantern Podcast. And that will wrap us up for now. We will hopefully be back as a full crew on the 20th. We will talk about some films that we've seen, which I don't think we've actually seen too much yet. I can guarantee at least possibly we'll cover Beauty and the Beast, and um, that might be it. But we'll see what happens. Uh, so we'll be back with you on the 20th. But until that time, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. That's at Fuds on Film or Facebook, facebook.com slash Fuds on Film or through the old emails. I podcast at Fuds on And, you know, yes, that brings us to the end. And we'll see you in another 10 days or so. Until that time, I've been Scott Morris. Drew Tavendale has been Drew Tavendale. Catch you on the flip side. Goodbye.